This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please remember, send me a text, 2057. I love your texts. Love your questions. And email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Regular guest, it's our gardening guru, Professor Wally Richards. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Good morning. Now, i got to make a plug for you. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So I've got to tell you a little gardening story. I've been growing little wee beech trees, and I drove all the way down to Invercargill and dragged back 500 little beech trees, and I've been growing them for a year and, and repotting them in tubs, having great success. And I'm loving my little beech trees to plant out uh, on our property. While I was at the nursery, they had two gigantic beech trees. Oh, I'm going to say two metres high that weren't looking very well. And I got a good price on them. So I threw them in the trailer too. And then recently we went away and they got a bit neglected. And I came back and they were dead, Wally. My two big beech trees were dead. And I thought, well, you know, fair enough. I took a bit of a punt in getting them. And I was about to throw them away. And when my wife said, oh, no, give them a bit of water. They'll be right. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get some of Wally's magic botanical liquid. I thought, it'll never, ever work. These trees are dead. They were The leaves were completely gone. The twigs of the branches of this spindly tree looked dead. And I was literally going to fire, uh, throw them on my fire pile. I, I poured, I, I mixed it 20, what is it, 20 mils per litre. Yeah. So, what I, you know, and, and I, and my uh, watering can, and I gave it into, under the ground. I didn't put it over the leaves because they didn't really have any. Do you know, within a couple of days, those two beech trees have got a covered in green leaves? Wow. I could not believe it. It was a miracle. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well I could done. not believe it, Wally. The stories I get back, like I think last week um, we spoke about the lady who um, squashed a kiwi fruit, golden kiwi yes. fruit, over and then watered it with magic botanic liquid, and now she's got untold kiwi fruit, little seedlings. Um, yeah, interesting, very interesting. Um, I remember one guy contacted me one time, and I think I've said this before, um, he soaked his pumpkin seed overnight in a solution of MBL and planted it uh, there. And next day they sprouted. It was, he said it was so quick. Um, and, well, I, I would not I, – look, um, you know, you tend to think, oh, Wally's something or other, oh, yeah, a bit of marketing hype, you know, overblown. I hear your stories and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I would not have believed this if you'd told me. Right. I would not have believed it. I don't believe you either. <laughs> <laughs> but you know about MBL, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 
<coughs> so yeah. you know it's possible. Anyway, my two beech trees have greened up, watering. Can you? I was wondering about. So I gave it to them. I don't know three or four days ago, and I've kept them watered. Um, can you give them too much MBL? Um, not that I'm aware of, no. Um, but you only waste it if you give too much. Okay. So um, it's not going to do any great further advantage. From now on, if you were to spray the foliage once a week with yeah. a spray solution, yeah. that would be very good for it. And that's all you need to do. Um, well, I have to hand it to you, Wally. Um, it brought back two trees that were, I was, I would say, two metres tall. Yes, because it's up to the top of the shed. They were in bad shape when I got them six months ago. They were even in worse shape when I neglected them while I was away. Right. And I was literally going to put them on the burn pile. And my wife said, oh, I'll give them a water. They might come back. I gave them the MBL two days later green leaves right across them it was like it was magic so there you go wally um i'm a convert and i'm going to go around my 500 beech trees and spray all the leaves with mbl yeah, uh, yeah and give them a boost now busy time in the garden wally what's on oh my, my goodness it is it's full-on um the only caution to be concerned about is depending upon where you live, the temperatures are not even. Like we're still getting a bit of cold stuff happening and there's a nice warm day, etc. cetera. Um, so outside in your garden, planting the likes of cucumbers, um, aubergines, pumpkins, they're going to kind of sit there and sulk until the mm. temperatures become even, right? Once the temperatures become even, we say Labor Weekend, you can plant most things except for those real heat-loving plants, such as cucumbers, right? In a glasshouse, different story. My yeah. cucumbers are away laughing and joking and, and telling <laughs> stories to the, chip, the chilies and the yeah. capsicums and the aubergines. Um, yeah, I, I grow... Um, in one of my glass houses, in fact, both of them, um, what they call auto pots. It's kind of like hydroponics, but it's not a flow method where the nutrient goes back into the holding tank. In other words, you have a holding tank. There's a little um, valve that operates without electricity. It's just manual. It opens up, floods the little tray that the pot sitting in and uh, the plant has nutrient coming up from the base, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting way to grow because things like capsicums and you're using um, hydroponic solution, right? So it's superfood. Um and you can grow capsicums as good as you buy in the supermarket. Nice, big, green, red capsicums, right? Whenever I've tried to grow them in potting mix or out in the garden, uh, they're not 
big like the supermarket ones, right? Because the supermarket ones, of course, are hydroponically grown mm. and they have all the uh, food that you could wish for um, and that's why you get the big fruit, right? Um, it's interesting, but it's it's more expensive. Because What's the system? I don't understand the system that you've got. Okay. Um, well, you have a holding tank, right, in which you put water and nutrients into, and it's a hydroponic solution that you're putting into the tank. Out from the tank runs your pipe, yeah. and then off that pipe comes a small um, four-millimeter, eight-millimeter pipe, which goes into the bottom of a small tray, which holds just one plant. One and pot. the one plant is sitting in its own pot. Yep, it's sitting in that pot. And there's a valve thing, which when it becomes dry, this automatically opens up, allows nutrient to come in, to oh. flood the bottom of the tray, and then it closes. Oh, right. wow. So, um, and it, what's it called? Again, do you buy the whole setup? Yeah, you can buy the whole setup from hydroponic places. Um, they're called autopots. Autopots. Uh, yeah. And for the keen gardener, particularly with the glass house, because you don't want the plants to be rained on, um, they grow very quickly because they've got the max of nutrient. And... Yes, you, you get some incredible results. Like I planted some young tomato seedlings, uh, which would have only been uh, and inches about or three or four inches high. They are now a metre high in a period of under two weeks. That's almost impossible. Yeah, they just grow and grow and grow. For sure. Um, now, one of the tricks I'm using this year in my glasshouse, because whitefly are a horrendous problem for people growing tomatoes and stuff in glasshouses. So because a lady told me one time that she protected her stone fruit tree from the guava moth by hanging little bags of cat repellent, nepheline, in the tree. The bags, of course, smell like uh, mothballs, and as a result of that, it disguised the smell of the tree, and she was able to harvest all the fruit with no damage. Um, Grava moth is a bit like codlin moth, and it's in the northern regions rather than down where you live. You don't have that problem. So... On the same principle as that, instead of using neem granules, which I also put some of those on the top of the pots, um, I hung some bags. And you can get little bags from the $2 shop, which is a little gauzy bag. You use them for uh, gifts, putting sweets in or something. So I got a pile of them, hung up there. And so far, it's working perfectly. You go in there, and it smells like mothballs. The smell overrides the smell of the um, tomato plants. So whitefly flying by don't know there's any tomatoes in there. Huh. 
Well, I've um, got my marigold starting to grow now. And right. My, um, do they scare off white fly or something else for my tomato? Well, once again, the smell of that. We used to do that in days gone by. Use marigolds in the glasshouse to create a smell to disguise the smell of the tomato plants. Um, neem granules um, placed on the growing medium. Um, the smell of them also helps greatly, um, which is all, all important because later on, if the populations of whitefly build up, they become a real problem to get under control. So you've got to get into it early in the piece. First sign of any whitefly, um, spray with pyrethrum, uh, Wally's neem tree oil, whatever, keep them under control before they get going. Most important. Well, I've just been Googling while you're talking because I'd never heard of it before, Wally. I'm sorry to be distracted, but I was Googling the autopot, and there's quite a few agencies that sell them in New Zealand. They're not cheap. You would have to be a serious gardener. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, do you, how many, like there's different sizes too. I'm just looking at one particular site and an auto pot, four pot starter kit is $270. And so I see what you're saying. It's got this big tank where you must put water and then add the solution. And then you've got four big pots to grow in. Right. And then you've got ones that have like 16 pots for $1,100. How many pots have you got, Wally? Um, good question. I, I, I don't know. Um, probably about 20 or 30. Oh, wow. A 24-pot kit here is $1,500. Do you think that's about right? Yeah, um, that that would be about right. And so the idea, <laughs> of, the idea of them is that you, like, you'd put your tomatoes in and then you'd shift them out later or do you just leave them in the pot growing? No, you leave it in the pot going. Um, the, one of the advantages of it, of course, is as long as um, you've got your tank fairly full, you can go away for a week and, yeah. and it's been watered automatically, right? Yeah. Um, if, if sediment or whatever gets in, there can be a bit of a problem. At times you've got to clear out pipes or unblock things or so forth. Um they're a little bit hassly, um, but the results are incredible. And for a person, uh, even just a couple of pots in a tank, um, you, you can have in a small lean-to glass house, you, you can have beautiful capsicums or chilies or whatever. Um, if you go like I do, because, of course, I've got a shop um, where I can sell chilies and so forth um, through the shop. Uh, yeah. So it's like I've got hens and the surplus eggs get sold in the shop and so, there's a high demand for them. Well, it looks amazing. And is the valve a mechanical valve, Wally? It's not electronics. Not, yeah, no it's valve. mechanical. It, it's, um, it kind of, it, it, it's a float thing, which yeah. I, when, when the level of water or nutrient is up, it opens up and shuts off the flow. And then as the level drops down to no nutrient, of course, it then drops back and opens and, and allows a flood. Do you put the same solution in whatever the plant or does it vary according to what you're growing? Um, 
Well, once again, there's no point in growing lettuces in it or those sort of things. So ideally, you're talking about capskin, um, tomatoes, and chilies, and aubergine, eggplants, right? Now, all of those have basically the same nutrient value. Okay. okay. So there's no problems. You've just got one, one lot to do. Hydroponics. In hydroponics, you have a holding tank, which you put your nutrient in, right? And then it goes out and it feeds all the plants you've got growing, which is sitting in a trough or whatever, but the nutrient is returned back to the tank. So over a period of time, the what we call the CF value, which is the electric um, measurement of the nutrient, drops down. Or in other words, the food content reduces because the plants have used it. Right? Yeah. So then you've got to top it up. Yeah. And that's where it becomes a little bit more complicated. You've got to have a CF meter and yeah. you've got to check your pH, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, hydroponics is fun, great stuff to do, but once again, a lot more work unless you've got an automatic system, which is expensive, very expensive. The autopot is because the nutrient only gets used once, it doesn't return, um, it's easy to do. Wow. And um, the plants are sitting in what, potting mix or seed mix uh, or something? In core fibre, like coconut fibre. Oh, wow. So, um, it's got to be something that will uh, allow the moisture to rise up easily and the roots, of course, will penetrate down and the mix it's used is no food value whatsoever, right? Um, because the food is coming from the nutrient. It just seems it just seems extraordinary. I'd never seen such a thing. And I, I um, and tell me about your was it your tomatoes? You put them in there, and tell me the tomato story again. Yeah, well, they grow very quickly, of course, in a glass house um, yeah. per se. And yeah, what was it about two or three weeks ago? Little seedlings like you buy in the garden centre, um, out of their pots and so forth, um, into the solution um, or into the containers for the individual. And now I've got stuff up a metre high. And then that is in round about two to three weeks. So... Um... Funny enough, buying one for two hundred and seventy dollars and having four good tomato plants—it's not an uneconomic proposition, is it? Yeah, well, it's, it's good because they will in a glass house once again, depending upon the variety, they'll produce well into the winter. Yeah. So, so you can start off early, um, and. The glass house makes a difference. If you didn't have yeah. a glass house, of course, outside you could not do it because yeah. the pots would get rained on. That would yeah. disturb the whole uh, nutrient yeah. value, etc. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> rain on the foliage is good because it's nitrogen, but rain going into the pot. And then the next thing, 
that gets too much water in the base of the container, the yeah. autopot, and then that then starts to come out. And once the water starts to flow, it's like sucking a, a petrol out of a tank. Once yeah. it starts going, it doesn't stop. Yeah. And, and so all your tank is lost. It just runs out. So you don't want to water from the top. Well, um, I think that's a, that's an amazing thing. And so you would extend your growing season in a glasshouse with an auto pot compared to not having an auto pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're also going to get uh, faster growth uh, and probably better tomatoes because they're getting everything that they need. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, and besides that, what you do, of course, to the plants themselves in there, you spray them with magic botanic liquid. Mm. So the nutrients that we're feeding to the plants has got a, a good NPK um, yeah. value with other minerals, but it hasn't got everything. Yeah. And I've tried on a couple of occasions putting magic botanic liquid into the uh, nutrient solution in the tank, but it seems to block up um, for some okay. reason and cause problems. But you spray the foliage um, yeah. with the MBL, and then they grow much quicker again. Goodness me. Oh, it's so exciting. What else is going on in the garden now, Wally? Okay. One of the problems this season, um, and I've had myself and others, you remember we talked about um, using the new copper nutrient um, on our yes. stone fruit trees for curly leaf. Yes. Well, I've been very diligent about doing it, and, and I have a container made up there. I'm reasonably pleased with the results because I've got some curly leaf still uh, on some leaves, and other leaves are perfect. Um, and once again, we suggested using the cell strengthening kit um, for not only the psyllid problem, but also on the uh, garlic. Um, and once again, this season, um, first time, uh, even using it diligently, the foliage has got some bloody rust on it, right? Now, I've thought about this, and, and I think the reason is very simple. We've had too many overcasts, too many cloudy, hazy days, not enough direct sunlight, and too much rain, right? So composite of that has put the plants in distress. When plants are in stress, it's like ourselves. If we get stressed, we catch a cold. I've caught a cold. <laughs> and the same thing applies with plants. They're more susceptible to diseases when they are in stress, and the stress is lack of sunshine which they need to create carbohydrates. So once again, the old trick, go and get yourself a jar of molasses, tablespoon of molasses, dissolve it into a litre of hot water to make it dissolve and nicely, and then when it cools down, put it into um, a trigger sprayer and go and spray the foliage of your plants with that. Free carbohydrates, which the plants don't have to synthesize, photosynthesize from sunlight. And as a result of that, we can get our bulbs 
to um, form better uh, with the garlic. And we can um, help. See, with my stone fruit tree, I'm, I'm happy there's a good amount of foliage there. Oh, this is a little nectarine tree. It's got a quite a good fruit set as well. Now, it's a matter of holding those fruit. And the only way the, the fruit will hold is if um, the tree can get enough energy from the sun to hold the crop. If they can't, then the crop will start to drop, and then you have no crop, right? Yeah. Yeah. So by spraying the foliage, even the ones that have got a bit of curly leaf on with carbohydrates, and you can water molasses into the soil as well, so it can be taken up by the roots. Do that, and the tree will respond, and the garlic should be better. The interesting thing, too, when you do something like that, and you, you could do it on your tomato plants, too, um, so it makes it better. Um, I remember hearing the story from my partner in the Philippines, and, and I thought, this is silly, but they have a fruit over there. It's a, I forget what it's called. It's a great big fruit anyway. And she said the fruit had no flavour to it of any consequence. And then somebody said, in a full moon, you've got to sprinkle sugar underneath the tree. And she did that, uh, a jackfruit. It was a jackfruit. And, and the jackfruit had lovely flavour. The sugar, carbohydrates. Mm. Why the full moon? God only knows. It's probably witches out there, you know, in the cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it works. Uh, but, yeah, it, it worked. Um, so a plant can absorb not just water and CO2 through its leaves, it will with that water bring in simple sugars. Yeah. yeah. And the foliage gets bigger because the plant goes, oh, this is freebie. And, and if you're doing it regularly, like uh, every few days or whatever, so the leaf wants more, so it gets greedy and it becomes bigger and bigger, so it gets more ca free carbohydrates. And doing so, too, whatever sunlight is available will have a bigger solar panel to catch more energy. Same principle. The bigger yes. the panel, the more energy. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what else in the garden, Wally? Because it's a busy time. Yeah. Um, well, everybody should have their brassicas in, planting seeds. Um, I've got carrots in. Uh, they've all sprouted. Um, draw oh, you're making me envious. I put my carrots in nothing yet. Uh, dwarf beans, except the bloody birds. My oh. god, I, I, I have this lovely beds with beautiful compost there and and sowed with the seeds and so forth, watered them down, and go out next day. And, and what is undulating mess? Birds decided that they. Uh, there were seeds in there, and they were going to have a big chomp up, of course. So I had to go down to Mitre 10 and get some bird netting and put across the what's name. It stopped the damage. But, yeah. of course, seeds, instead of being nicely planted out, they're all over the place now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've had um, two or three of my potatoes sprout, which I'm very excited about. <clears throat> I hope it's not going to stop at two or three. 
And I was so over the moon, and I carefully pushed in the dirt because I'm a loving, I'm a loving gardener of my little plants to bring that up to the to the leaves to mount start the mound. But we had snow, Wally. And um, to be fair, down where we are, it was just a light sprinkling, but my goodness, it was very, very cold. Right. And the leaves have curled up a bit and look a bit off colour, a bit black, a bit black. Right. Uh, They've got a pinch of cold, yeah. Some of the cells in the leaves are frozen as a result of the cold and the snow. Um, But the plants will come away. Um, Okay. No great problem. Ideally... At this time of the year, if you're going to have a late frost and you're still in the process of covering the foliage so you get a bigger crop, um, before night time comes in the afternoon, you go out and you put some soil over the top, right? So yeah, they're the, covered. Soil okay. is a perfect insulator, and it doesn't matter if it snows even. I should have done that, but of course, being new to the business, because I knew it was going to snow, and I made sure we were all warm, and I forgot about my little potatoes. I'll give them a bit of a shot of MBL too. That'll perk them up and maybe oh, some yeah. molasses. Yep. Um, tell me, uh, in your email, you were talking about what you need to do with the roses now, Wally? Yeah, um, this time of the year. when Well, there's two aspects to it. It depends where you are, and it depends whether you have to water or not, and it depends whether there's uh, chlorination or chlorinated water in your hose uh, tap outside. Um, if that's the case, you really need to get a housing and filter and put on because that will upset the um, microbes and so forth in the soil and your roses will be more prone to rust and uh, black spot, etc., etc. There's a, a program that you can use, which I've suggested, particularly people who in the past have used uh, the likes of rose fertiliser, nitrofosca blue, and um, sprays such as Shield, um, which have all deteriorated the immune system of the plant and made the plant more vulnerable to disease. Food for roses. Look, the best thing you can use if you can get it is some horse manure. It's an old-fashioned old thing. Horse manure around your roses, right? Um, if you can't get horse manure, um, sheep manure pellets, blood and bone, but they should be covered over with a bit of compost, right, because it's particularly blood and bone because left sitting on the top of the soil in sunlight, it bakes and it's uh, not really available. So covered over. There's a program I suggested some years ago, which was a um, two-weekly program. One was using a product called Perkfection, P-E-R-K-F-E-C-T-I-O-N, Perkfection, because the commercial product is called Perk, so we adapted that name. Um, that's used only once a month. That works from the inside of the plant, building up the immune system, right? Your magic botanic liquid, of course, is also used. Um, 
in conjunction with it in the same spray. You can use microsin if you wish, uh, which has also got um, molasses in it. Um, and if you've got an insect aspect such as aphids, you can add some of our Wally's neem tree oil to it, right? Now, a weekly, sorry, once a month spray uh, would be ideal um, using all that. But with the perfection, if you use it too often, uh, it can stop the growth of the plant. So with that one, you leave it out for the second. So a two-weekly spray, one, two-week with perfection, MBL, and then the following one, just the MBL. So this is the consequence of applying the wrong chemicals to your roses, even though you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, well, in the past, and I don't think it's available anymore, we used to have a product called Shield from Yates, right? And Shield um, had a fungicide and an insecticide. The insecticide was actually orthene. Orthene's been banned because orthene was a chemical used in the First World War for killing people in the trenches, right? Jeepers. So um, it was quite effective at killing insects, of course, and not too good for your health um, when you're spraying. But um, those chemicals might fix a problem, like they might kill the insects or they might fix the fungus disease initially. But because nature is very resilient, what happens is they become um, resilient to the chemical. So even though you spray them on a regular basis, it doesn't kill them anymore. Mm. They've learned to overcome the problem. So you're wasting your time. This is why in days gone by when those chemicals were widely used, they used to have shield and then they used to have super shield and you, one week you'd spray with one, the next week you spray with the other, right? Okay. And, and that was two different chemicals. But at the same time, the plants suffered. Now, there was a story a chap told me. Because I've been writing in papers for many, many years, he actually read about this uh, formula for doing the roses. His parents on a farm were great rose enthusiasts and they had literally hundreds of roses all different varieties and so forth right when they passed it became his job to look after the roses and every year he had problems he was using shield and super shield and rose fertilizer and nitrofosca blue nitrofosca blue is uh, not a very nice product, actually. It does more harm than it does good. And it reached a point that he felt like getting the tractor out and mowing the whole lot into the ground because they're always looking horrible, right? He read this article when he was on holiday and one of the papers that I used to write for. And he said, okay, I'll give that a go. My last shot. He rang me up. He said, after one season, the roses are just about as good as my parents had them. It's my brought goodness. them back from being real horrible to 
real beautiful. And of course, it's magic botanic liquid, the perfection uh, uh, microsome that he was using on the plants to great advantage. So that's why you have such an appreciation, Wally, of what you're putting into your system, because you see it with your plants, like the chlorinated water, the wrong chemicals. Um, You might be fixing one problem, but making another. So you have to have a certain, what's the word, empathy, sympathy, for the intricacy of what you're dealing with 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 life. And the same thing applies with us, right? We get an, an infection. The doctor says, here's some antibiotics, go for it, you know. Now, it'll clean up the infection, but it also destroys our natural, uh, <laughs> yes. what's the name? And so we're yes. left in a situation where our own, um, what is it? It's not the cells, it's uh, microbes and so forth in, in our gut, et cetera. That it's been adversely affected. So you've got to recolonize them again. So you yes. feed them up with some yogurt or whatever to yes. get the population back up. Yes. What about our lawns, Wally? What should we be looking at with our lawns coming away in spring? Right. Okay. Um, the first most important thing with lawns is the cutting of them. It's most important that you don't sculpt the lawn. In other words, we say for a good lawn, you only cut the top third of the grass in any one cut. And that doesn't matter if it's a foot high, you only take the top third off, right? And then you can go back a few days later and take another third off. The reason being is if you cut low, it prevents the grasses, it, it knocks them back, right? They can handle it, they'll come again. But if you cut them a bit higher, think about this. Animals grazing on paddocks of grass only eat the top of the grass. They don't eat the bottom of the grass, unless the grass has got too short, of course. Um, and as a result of that, the grass will actually um, grow new leaves because it's like cutting the end off a branch, yeah. it causes more branches. So the same thing applies with grass. Grass is the only plant in nature that I'm aware of that loves to be cut. <laughs> it, it thrives on being cut. And the reason is simple, because animals from millions of years ago have been foraging on grass. And grass has said, oh, this is so good. Come and eat some of me <laughs> because it will make me grow better. Yeah. Right? So with your lawn, cutting the top third off each time you mow so you're not scalping the lawn, right, which allows weeds to get in. If you've had a situation where you've got a lot of weeds in your lawn and so forth, there are um, lawn um, herbicides like turfix, et cetera, which you can spray. They don't kill the grass unless the grass is very young. Um, so any grass has to be a good six months old from seed, and then it's not going to be unduly affected. The lawn should not be in stress. In other words, it shouldn't be dry and so forth. It should be growing quite nicely. And then you apply your chemical, 
The problem with that, of course, is the lawn clippings will have the chemical in them, right, which is a herbicide. Now, if you were to put that around your roses or um, your beans, um, you get some very funny-looking growths happening because the herbicide, even though it's low in its what's name, people take that those grass clippings, of course, to the recycling place where they recycle them. And this is one of the dangers of recycled compost, that you get the compost and the herbicide is still active. A lot of those herbicides are active for about six months or mm. so, right? The best thing to do with your grass clippings, if you've used a herbicide on your lawn, is to put them under established trees and shrubs because it will tend to help uh, smother and kill any uh, annual weeds that are growing underneath. So that's a good way to, to use them up. And the amount of herbicide doesn't affect the big trees, your beech trees, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So after you've got rid of the weeds, um, it's not a bad idea to oversow your lawn. If you want a weed-free lawn, you've got to have a lawn that's got a dense carpet of grass because then seeds coming in can't land on the soil and establish. So you reduce your weed problem. To do that, you scarify the lawn, and that's a special rake or machine, which you can hire the machine, which cuts into the uh, soil and lifts up all the debris that's in the soil and leaves lines, uh, like little furrows, yeah. and which when you get your seed and you want to get a good lawn seed, and a good lawn seed is unfortunately not easy to come by. You really need to go to um, a place like Evans Turf and get a seed from them because they supply seeds to the greenkeepers who do the fields and the bowling greens, etc., etc. Their seed is fresh and it's perfect. It's good germination and excellent seed. Um, the stuff you buy in the supermarket or elsewhere is not necessarily the same quality. Right. So that was Evans Evans Turf. E-V-A-N-S. Yes, yeah. Okay. You find them on the internet. Um, um there are one or two others uh, which are very good too, but generally speaking, uh, the common lawn seed that you find uh is not necessary so good by by any means. Because lawn seed, for instance, for the greenkeepers. It has to be no longer than a year old, right? So what happens quite often is once the seed um, that hasn't sold and been used gets up to a year, they throw it away or they give it to some other company who sell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I remember reading a consumer report when consumer was really active in days gone by, and they got every brand of lawn seed um, on the market for home gardeners. One particular brand and one particular variety had no actual uh, grass seed in it. It was only weed seeds, 
It was a whole bloody bag was wheat seeds. Oh my! Ah, oh, that is unbelievable. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that when my I don't get a good result. I have found lawn quite hard to sow and quite hard to raise, and I'm going to plant a bit of lawn. So that's this is uh, of relevance to me. Um, <clears throat> when you mow your lawn, Wally, how low should you cut it? Um, in what's the name? Just a moment. I'll get me. Metric ruler here. Ideally, you shouldn't be probably much under five centimeters, maybe Two four inches. centimeters, five centimeters, round about yeah. there. Two inches. Yeah. My goodness, because when I mow it, I think, oh, I'm going to mow this hard because I'll be back here. <laughs> I'll be back here next week otherwise. So I tend to knock hell out of it. And that's not making for a good lawn. No, because it allows weeds to get in, weed seeds and germinate. It also weakens the grass. So you, if you've got a, a nice, dense mat of grass, um, it looks good and it doesn't require you to mow quite so often. There's periods of time, like in the spring, of course, it will come away. Summertime, it's slow. You don't mow so much. And then in the wintertime, once again, the same thing applies. You don't mow and, so much. And what about when you have those seemingly damp patches and you get all that moss in them? Right. Okay. Moss in lawns, um, the, they often say you use sulfate of iron for the moss, right, and you sprinkle that over. And in your lawn fertilisers that you buy, they have a certain amount of um sulfate of iron uh, for that particular purpose. And that works to a point. It burns the uh, moss, but it doesn't actually kill it. So it comes again very quickly, right? We have a product called Wally's Moss and Liverwort Control. And for your sphagnum-type moss in the lawn, I'm having problems with my phone here. Smagnum type moss in the lawn, you use that. Now, to use that to be effective in your kill, you've got to adjust your sprayer so it's a bit of a, um, on the nozzle, it's a bit of a uh, jet, and you shoot it. And the same with liverwort, you shoot it. And then it works perfectly. It doesn't hurt the grass at all, and that will kill completely the moss. So you sort of got to drive it into the plant. Yeah, yeah, to make it work. If you just missed it, you'll get a bit of a result, but you won't get a good kill, right? Mm. Which means uh, if you've got a lot of moss in your lawn, you're going to have to go back um, after the initial lots died off and do the bits you missed and hit them. A thing happens in your lawn too, which is called thatch. Now, thatch is a debris that builds up on the surface of the soil. And when you walk on the lawn, it's got a spongy effect. You yep, feel it yep, kind yep. of spongy, right? And and if you were to cut into your lawn and take a side profile, you'll see the soil, debris, and the grass growing up through the debris. That debris actually holds moisture, um, which 
weakens the lawn too because the debris um, holding moisture, the grasses roots tend to come back up into there for the moisture because it's not penetrating down. You're not getting water into deep water as it should be. So you've got to get rid of the thatch. Two ways to do it. You can use a rake, a special dethatching rake, which has got um, thin tines on it, which you scrape through the lawn, and that just rips out. Or you can, if you've got a big lawn, you can go from a higher centre. Some of them have a dethatcher, which is like a motor mower, but it's got these um, things that just rip the thatch out. It, it rips a bit of your grass and so forth at the same time, of course. But um, And it, you end up with literally catches and catches and catches full of rubbish to get to dispose of. After you've dethatched your lawn, that's when you oversow. That's when you throw out your fresh lawn seed and then lightly water. And those grooves in the ground that it's created will be ideal for the seeds to fall into, watered into, and they will germinate and thicken up your grasses. If you don't want to do the um, thatch, dethatching that way, we have a product called Thatch Buster. Now, Thatch Buster is a bit like Microsin. It's a stronger formulation, and it feeds the microbes in the soil that eat up the debris. Oh, my goodness. And so you spray the lawn with um, thatch buster using non-chlorinated water, of course, or you apply it with a lawn boy, and it will eat up, given good conditions, which means a bit of moisture, a bit of warmth, at a whole inch of thatch in a month. Wow. And um, tell me, whenever I go to look at grass seed, there's a lot of different varieties of grass seed. Does it matter that when I come to Oversow, I use a different grass seed? Um, it depends what sort of lawn you want. It depends on shade, sun, um, conditions. So just there's, get a grass seed for your conditions and you'll be fine. Ideally, yeah, yeah. And, and because there's different mixes of rye and so forth, um, which – are going to be better in some situations than in others. Um, one thing, interesting enough, is some lawn seeds are coated, right? They put a coating on them, and the coating can be as a fertiliser. It could be as a fungicide. It could be even as an insecticide against grass grub, right? Now, the coating adds to the weight of the seed. So if you're buying a kilo of lawn seed and it's coated, you only got half as much actual seed as you would do if you was uncoated ah. because it's sold by weight, right? Now, green keepers, except in very special circumstances, would laugh at you putting um, coated lawn seed on your lawn because hey, you're not getting this, the number of seeds you should do, and the coating is basically not necessary unless there is a real problem. 
Good <laughs> tips, Wally. Good tips. Oh, my goodness. you. It's no wonder we call you the professor. Now, before we close, Wally, have we got anything else that should be burning in our minds as we're looking at our garden? Or are we um, up to date? Well, weeding, of course, because springtime, weeds are going to proliferate. Um, the best thing to do with weeds is, well, the tendency is to pull them out. If the ground is moist, uh, nice wet times after rain and so forth, it's relatively easy to pull out weeds. If it's dry, it's hard, right? But in actual fact, the very best way is to use a carving knife. And you cut just underneath the soil, cutting the top of the weed off, right? Yeah. Leaving the roots underneath, um, and you cut below the crown. So even with perennials, they won't come away again because they've lost that um, top crown. The roots in the ground will rot and feed the plants, right? Yep. Besides that. The weeds that grow in, the, in your gardens have actually taken a lot of goodness out of your soil and you can treat them as what we call a fodder or green crop. So after you cut them off below the surface of the soil, you lay them down on the soil and they will disappear in a matter of uh, a few days or a week or so and all that goodness will go back in the soil. Well, I did that myself, Wally. I got down with my little pocket knife, blunted it, but. I cleaned up some weeds, and I was shocked. Like within a day, it was hot after our snow. They were looking like all shriveled up, and man, you hardly know they were there. You know, yeah, yeah. That I I have found that so much better, and and certainly pulling them out, you just left with a big hole. Yeah, true. Yeah, and, and, and then you're throwing your best soil away with the plant. That's right, yeah, yeah, because it's stuck to the roots, yeah. um, unless it's very wet, of course. But no, um, the cut and what's that? And if it's little wee weeds that have just germinated, all you need to do with your knife is just scrape it across mm. the top of the soil, yes. and, and you're taking them out. I've got a good, I've got a good raw garlic that I'm very excited about. That's doing well. My board beans, I only got about fifty percent. I don't know what I did wrong with them, but everything else in my garden, thanks to you, Wally, is looking tremendous. I'm going to look at Evans for some grass seed that I need, and I'm going to study more the auto pot because I think that sounds a good idea. And Wally, you have a great day, and thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, I almost forgot. People should ring Wally. Um, on 0800 466 if they've got some problems or they need some gear or they can email Wally wallyjr at garden news one in in the gardennews.co.nz or just google uh, Wally Richards Professor Wally Richards Gardener and he will pop up Wally you're a treasure to us thank you so much for making us better people through gardening no problems love it <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, Wally, Wally Richards, our gardening guru. Oh, my goodness, he's suffering from a cold. I'm suffering from a cold. I don't know if you can catch him over the internet, but I bet like me he's just toughing it out because um, we don't take all that stuff, just like we know that it's not good for our plants. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Thank you for listening. 
This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.